The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today for our last Barron's Live call of this year. I'll be discussing the outlook for tech stocks with Eric Savitz, our Associate Editor for Technology. Welcome, Eric. Thanks, Lauren. So what a dreadful disappointment tech has been this year. Before we look ahead, though, I want to look back for a moment. The NASDAQ composite, which is the tech sector bellwether, has lost a third of its value, which is quite astonishing. We know that rising interest rates have clobbered growth stocks. But take a minute, if you would, and tell us what else has wrecked tech for investors this year. Sure. So there's there's a few things to think think about here. So for one thing, we, we've just come off a multi-year, uh, before this year, we had a multi-year rally that resulted in about a hundred and, I don't know, 40% rally over the course of, of three years in, in NASDAQ, uh, in, in tech stocks, right? So we had this period um, really going back all the way to the uh, to the uh, Great Recession in 2008, where uh, the Fed has been uh, easing. It's there's been cheap money, and a lot of that uh, cheap money has uh, ended up in technology stocks and in often in the most speculative ones. And we've saw this in other things too, right? Um, cryptocurrency and SPACs and meme stocks. There was a lot of money sloshing around. Um, and with very real estate art IPOs, everything. Yes, um, IPOs, which now we remember those. We used to have IPOs. Um, right. <laughs> so, so like there, there's all sorts of things uh, we're attracting um, capital when rates were low. And for technology stocks, the things that uh, often perform the best were high growth, low profit, um, often or no profit. Uh, software stocks with very high valuations, very high multiples to sales. And those things tend to happen when you have very low interest rates because the the math that investors do is uh, you're discounting back the value of future earnings. And when you're doing that discounting uh, uh, calculation, it's based on a very low interest rate. It makes those future profits worth more. And what we've seen uh, one, so problem one clearly was the Fed. Um, you know, we've had the Fed increase rates um, seven times this year by, you know, more than four percentage points. And uh, that's really weighed on tech stocks. Now, there's there are some other things that are at real, some related things that are at play. Um, high inflation, the strength of the dollar tends to be problematic for tech because they often have substantial business outside the US and those sales get discounted back. I mean, some companies have seen uh, headwinds of five, six, seven or more uh, percentage. Let me ask you though, was it all about the macro or were there also some company specific problems or some industry trends that went against us? Yeah. So there are, there are a few things that were going on there. So one thing is we, we, um, you really have to start uh, this 
the thinking process here at the beginning of the pandemic. Because if you think of what happened during the pandemic, you know, we're all stuck at home, we're all buying um, PCs and laptop, uh, laptops, um, smartphones, other kinds of uh, gear to outfit our home offices. Companies um, needed to bulk up their uh, cloud uh, uh, infrastructure to accommodate uh, everyone working from home and, and uh, the other things that unfolded during the pandemic. And so you had a spectacular period um, for PC makers. PC makers, like if you go back to 2019, PC demand was basically flat to down. And suddenly we were growing PC demand 30, 40, 50% a quarter. We saw a similar dynamic in other parts of the consumer tech economy. And now we've, we're, let's not say we're out of the pandemic, but we're certainly out of that uh, stay at home period. And a lot of those trends have reversed. And it, it's been most vivid in PCs where PCs are now declining at a, something like a mid teens year over year basis. Smartphone sales are down year over year. And we've started to see some slowing of enterprise spending as well as we undo some of the um, excesses of the pandemic period, layer on top of that a softer economy, and you've got a recipe for some really bad financial performance by some of these companies. So, And, and then the other thing that's playing out here uh, that's interesting is the uh, is what we've seen in in uh, uh, components in, in the supply chain, right? So semiconductors during the heart of the pandemic were in uh, serious short supply. You couldn't get enough of anything. So like, you know, companies like, uh, it, it was vivid, like, for example, in the auto industry where you had uh, ca uh, car makers just couldn't get parts. They couldn't get a complete set of parts to make the cars that they wanted because they couldn't get, in some cases, the cheapest semiconductors, right? Uh, things that cost a few dollars, but you couldn't get them. They were, they, they, you, you couldn't get them shipped and they weren't being made. And so what's happened now is a, there's been a dramatic reversal. Um, almost all of those shortages have been uh, cured. And now we have a dramatic oversupply of certain things, in particular in memory chips. So that's all reverse course. Um, and, and a lot of it is sort of the reaction uh, to what we had uh, seen during the pandemic. So there's a, a, a bunch of moving parts, but you know, consumer demand is weak, enterprise demand is softening. Um, it's a little bit of a mess out there. So the great pendulum has swung, but it given swung. this year's carnage, Eric, I can't help wondering whether the tech sector now is full of bargains. We know interest rates are gonna keep rising in 2023 and economists are predicting a recession, but isn't a lot of the bad news already factored into the stocks? So, um, so obviously the stocks are cheaper, right? So as you pointed out, the NASDAQ is down by about a third. There are many stocks that are down 50%, 70%, 80%, just huge declines. But in many of those cases, earnings have come down too, right? Like it's not just in isolation. So you've had, um, you, you have had some serious unwinding of uh, some financial performance. Now, I think that the, the bad news is that, um, you know, we, as we head into the fourth quarter earnings period, and we're about a month out still from that really starting in earnest, um, we're going to start to get uh, two related pieces of bad news. I think the Q4 numbers are going to be worse than anyone expects, despite the fact that estimates have come down. 
And then the outlook for 2013, uh, I'm sorry, for 2023, I think is um, going to be worse than people think. So like if you look, for example, at PEs, PEs look a lot lower than they were, except I think uh, for PEs, but I think the E's are, are wrong. Like I think that the the current streak consensus estimates are likely quite too high across the board. And until like the street ad adopts to you know, the additional increases in rates, which I think are coming, uh, the, the, the coming, what I think is going to be carnage and EPS estimates for the quarter, uh, for the fourth quarter, for the first quarter, and for all of 2023, um, I think it's going to be a while before we get any real bounce here. So are they cheaper? Yes. Are they cheap? Um, you know, on a historical basis, arguably, they're not quite cheap enough. So I'm, I'm skeptical that this is the right time to go wildly bottom fishing. I hear a very bearish forecast in there. Yeah. That's, so that's let's move on from the big picture. I want to get down to this week's news and near-term news. You're going to be heading to the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas right after the first of the year. This is a big festival for gadgets. What companies are likely to make news there? What sort of news will they make? And what are you most interested in learning at CES? Yeah, so, you know, CES is the biggest tech trade show of the year. Um, I, I believe it's actually the largest U.S. Uh, trade show of any kind. Um, in, its, in its glory years, uh, CES, which attracts as many as 170,000 people uh, for the week first, that first week in January, uh, to Las Vegas, where it has been for many years. Um, they skipped a year during the pandemic. And then last year, they, they, they returned uh, to do a live trade show, but it was much smaller than normal. There were maybe 40,000 people there, about a quarter of the usual size. This year, we should be back to about 100,000 people. Uh, so Wear a mask, Eric. <laughs> yeah, there'll be a lot of mask wearing and hand washing and uh, stuff like that going on. Uh, but I, and, and it's, it, it's a little bit of an odd year for the show. Um, you know, you can see that in the list of keynote speakers, um, uh, you know, there are key, a lot of the keynotes are from companies you probably wouldn't think of as, uh, Such as? as companies like uh, Stellantis, which is, you know, the parent of Chrysler. Um, is that a tech company? I don't know. Delta Airlines, John Deere. Um, like there's a whole bunch of keynotes. Some of them help to be tech companies. Yeah, they all have like there's a tech element to all of their stories, of course. Um but uh, but there aren't too many of you know the, the hardcore tech companies. There was you know once once upon a time you'd go to CES and you would hear from Bill Gates and the CEO of Intel and John Chambers when he was running Cisco and like these kind of core tech players. Uh, but you know the tech story has gotten more diffuse. Um, you know the traditional heart of this of the trade show at CES used to be things like TVs and stereos and cameras and smartphones. And I don't think we're going to be seeing um, a lot of, you know, uh, earth shattering news in any of those categories. I mean, you will see, like if you walk into the, for people who've been to CES or been to the Las Vegas Convention Center, there's an area called the Central Hall. And the Central Hall is always filled with, you know, like 50,000 square feet of Samsung gadgets and televisions and that's where the you know all the big tvs are and things like that and there will be lots of big flat beautiful tvs but like i doubt that there's anything that's going to happen in um along those lines it's really going to change anything i think one thing that's new at the show uh or it's, has emerged at the show for the last couple of years is it's become 
um, probably the most important uh, or one of the most important trade shows for the auto industry. Um, and, you know, we're going to see, um, uh, you know, keynotes from automakers. There's going to be a whole section of the floor, something like, uh, I think that, I think the total is like 15% of the show floor are going to be um, EVs, autonomous driving, and other related parts of the transportation economy. Um, batteries. That's where the sizzle is. But yeah, electric, electric scooters, e-bikes, and all that stuff. Um, and I think there's a good reason for that. For, for one thing, it is a part of the economy that... Um, you know, that is vast, right? We're talking trillions of dollars a year in revenue. That is where I think we've hit an inflection point and um, EVs are becoming a, a material part of the auto industry and the fastest growing part of the auto industry. And there's both old players and new players, US players and international players. Um, they all see a vast market opportunity and I think that's the most likely place where you'll see real, uh, real news. Now, I would note, by the way, that CES was once a place where you go, you would go and break news. It's like that's where the DVD player was launched and the VCR and like stuff like that. But um, I think in the current environment, um, it's it's probably not a great place to launch a really big innovation because it's noisy. There's, you know, more than 2000 companies there. There's a lot of people there. There's, um, you know, as I say, hundred thousand people, there's a lot of media. There'll be like thousands, literally <laughs> thousands of people, uh, for me to, uh, uh, you know, well, you'll be covering conferences, but, um, but, but I, I think, um, I, I don't think there's going to be one sort of overriding thing. Now I, I do think one thing that sits below the surface, um, of the show is the environment we're in. And we, you know, we just talked about the economic problems that the industry faces um, and, you know, they've fixed this demand or supply problem, but they still have kind of a demand problem. And then there's another set of related issues on the regulatory side where you have, you know, a kind of unfriendly government in some ways. It is true that the CHIPS Act is supportive of, um, you know, the, the semiconductor industry building out more, capacity in the U.S., and that's uh, welcomed by some of the providers uh, who are going to be there. But I, I would also point out that, you know, you have like an FTC that seems very unfriendly to uh, the M&A environment, and you will have people there from some of the regulatory agencies and members of Congress and the Transportation Secretary. Uh, Granholm is, is giving a presentation. So there's some things like that that will be happening there. And I think in many ways, uh, the most interesting questions will be reading between the lines on how's the environment, what's the outlook for 23. Um, you know, people will always be announcing, you know, cool new gadgets or silly gadgets in many cases. Well, you'll um, be covering the show. So we're going to be counting on you to read between the lines and publish it all on barons.com. That's my plan. And, that's, you know, we'll report on it in the magazine too. So. Right. That's the plan. So listeners, watch Eric's coverage. I um, want to remind listeners also before I go on to my next question that we will take questions at the end of the call, so please type them in. Eric, I want to talk about football. I know you're, <laughs> a, big, you're a big Philadelphia Eagles fan, and we yeah. have one in this house too, but the topic today is the Sunday ticket. It's official. YouTube, which is a division of Google, is going to pay $2 billion or so 
per year for the rights to broadcast out-of-market games not available to local TV affiliates. DirecTV previously had the rights to the Sunday ticket, and it was rumored to have lost money on the arrangement. So my question for you is, how do you think Alphabet, which is Google's parent, can actually make money on the Sunday ticket? Well, it is going to be challenging. I mean, the, the story with, with DirecTV is, you know, of course, their satellite service, this, they viewed this as a, you know, as, as a valuable way to drive additional um, subscribers. But by all accounts, they had about 2 million subscribers to Sunday Ticket, paying about $300 a year. Um, you know, you come up, you do the simple math there and you get $600 million. Google is apparently paying $2 billion a year for this package of games. Um, DirecTV was already losing money at their, uh, they were paying about $1.5 billion a year for this package. And by the way, the... Um, uh, the, it's worth noting that the DirecTV version also included a, a, a distribution in restaurants and uh, bars, and the, the Google package does not. You know, it's just residential. The NFL is going to try and sell the restaurant part to somebody else. But in any case, I think you know the challenge is: can you get the the subscriber total to go from you know the current two million or so to something like six and a half or seven? Bill, uh, million to get to a point where you hit break even. Now, that's an, a slight oversimplification because I think, for one thing, YouTube sees this as a way to drive um, subscribers for YouTube TV. Now, YouTube TV is not regular YouTube. YouTube TV is a uh, basically a cable uh, service uh, replacement, right? Uh, in this category that's sometimes sometimes called. MVPDs or, or, or really uh, virtual MVPDs. You subscribe for like, uh, you know, 65 bucks a month and you can get all the cable channels. You can, uh, uh, all the, you know, non, uh, non-premium ones and then you can add on premium service. And I think that in part, um, they see this as a way of bolstering that service. Now, YouTube TV um, only has about 5 million subscribers. So even if they all signed up, they still wouldn't make money. So they need to get beyond that. There's going to be an, an, another way to get it. Um, YouTube also offers a channel store. Uh, so you can go to the YouTube channel store on, uh, on their website. And you can sign up for various kinds of premium services, movie services, and things like that. And now you'll be able to also sign up for this. Now, I would note that they have not announced pricing. Um, we do not know what they're going to charge for this. Um, They'll probably raise the price over DirecTV, wouldn't you think? Well, you might think that, but it's a, it's a calculation of um, how can you, will you maximize revenue by raising price or lowering it as you try and drive more subscribers? So it's a little hard to tell. Um, we don't know. They haven't said yet. You know, the, 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 well, they'll have to say relatively soon um, the, the DirecTV um, contract expires with this season so we're talking um you know next next fall um that uh, what's the big takeaway from this deal well i think the biggest takeaway right is that um sports rights generally are leaving streaming tv uh, linear tv and Mm -hmm. and moving streaming services right so this has been ongoing for a while you know amazon has thursday night football um Apple has launched a package of MLB games. A- Apple also has exclusive rights now to um, Major League Soccer games. They'll have all the MLS games on their service. I, I think that we are 
headed in a direction uh, where the sports leagues are uh, coping with the fact that uh, cord cutting is has run rampant, um, and uh, and and the streaming services, in particular Apple and Amazon and Alphabet, have deep pockets. And they're willing to pay up to get access to this content. There are some interesting uh, unanswered questions here. In particular, like what is Am- what is Netflix doing? Like Netflix, um, you would think might want to pro- uh, play in this market, and they have really not done anything. Um, no, they've been very quiet. And, and I think there's a reason for that, by the way, which uh, I think all of the streaming services have to address, which is that. Um, if you if you have a, a show like Stranger Things, you can have it in multiple languages. You can, uh, you know, you can if you don't watch it this month, you can watch it next month. So it has some library qualities, and also it plays across markets. Can- kind of hard to do that with a football game. Yeah, like the, the lifespan of a football game, like once the game is over, is nothing, right? Like there's. It doesn't have any value, really, um, uh, from a uh, uh, unless I don't know. Maybe if you're a hardcore fan and you miss the game, you want to go back and watch it. But most people are not watching the football game uh, the next day. So, so in that case, um, they have to figure out a different model. The other thing is that um, uh, you know these are inherently advertising-driven products, and so it it also. Uh, raises some questions there for a service like Netflix, which has just started uh, dabbling in advertising, uh, apparently off to a slow start so far with their ad-supported tier. But, you know, this is a different model than traditional streaming too. Um, so, mm-hmm. uh, but but I think the writing is on the wall. It's It looks very bad for the traditional linear TV services. If they the, And sports is the last bastion. Like if they lose all the major sports, um, uh, I, I don't see much of a future for for that kind of um, that kind of television watching for a well, long. Well, we'll be watching Google's future here to see what they can. We make will indeed. So I want to go to some listener questions, and then sure. I'm going to give you a pop quiz. Uh-oh. So don't get nervous. All right. So Stephen wants to know whether you can discuss the outlook for semiconductor companies, which ones based on the type of chip they make are primed to make the biggest gains next year. Yeah, it's a tough outlook for semiconductor companies. And, you know, we got some vivid evidence of that. Just last night, we got um, er an earnings report from Micron Technology, which is the largest maker of uh, memory chips. Uh, uh, they're, They're kind of on a weird fiscal year. They're so they had a, their first quarter ended with the end of November um, and Micron had not a great quarter. And then their outlook that they provided was very discouraging. Um, so they have a few problems. So one is that many of their customers and their customers include PC makers, cell phone companies, data center, hardware companies, people like that. They all have too much inventory. They all loaded up uh, when they were worried about access to supply and then demand turned down. And so the result is they're just chock full of chips. They have more chips than they can use. And with demand softening, that's that's really bad for the chip industry. It was very bad for Micron. Their revenues were down like 47% year over year. 
in the most recent quarter. That is a bad quarter, right? And and they're 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 doing a whole bunch of things in response. They're cutting ten percent of their staff, which is like a considerable number of people. That's close to five thousand jobs. Uh, they are. Uh, reducing executive pay, suspending their bonus program. They've stopped their stock buyback program. Uh, they're slowing the rollout of new technologies to like smaller uh, line widths on their chips. They're doing a whole bunch of things to try and control costs. And you can see if you just look, you know, you look at the market um, on Thursday, uh, semiconductor equipment stocks are getting pummeled, for example, because you Mike see any big winners though for next year. I'm sorry, Lauren. Do you see any big winners for next year in the chip area? Well, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's it's a little premature to pick specific winners. I, I think that there are some areas that look more promising than others. So um, I, 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 uh, I like the uh, automotive uh, semiconductor plays because I think that they, they get some uh, extra... Uh, uh, drive for their business from the fact that as we move to EVs and to eventually to autonomously driven cars, the semiconductor content in those cars is so much higher than it is for traditional cars that even in a relatively flat auto market, they get a huge boost from that. So, you know, that's companies like on semi and, um, uh, and uh, oh my gosh, drawing a blank. Uh, but there and a bunch of others. So there's there's uh, there's that sector. I also think there's uh, that Nvidia is kind of interesting here. Um, you know, Nvidia has had a really rough year. Um, their stock is down. Oh my gosh, uh, I think it's forty fifty percent. I don't have the number in front of me. It's um, it, it's it's, uh, it's it's down a lot. I think it's safe to say. And, and I think that for multiple reasons, right? They, they've been affected by the slower PC demand. They had a crypto business sort of inadvertently, not when they tried to design, uh, but their crypto uh, business has gotten hurt. Uh, but I think they are like, they are the, probably the single best play on both the data center uh, and, like, and the cloud. I'm still pretty bullish on the outlook for cloud computing and for artificial intelligence. And um, I, as we've seen lately with some of these, you know, uh, AI tools that people have been playing with, um, uh, these generative AI tools, AI is very powerful and it's just getting started. So I'm, I'm reasonably bullish there. I, I think anything PC related is going to be troubled here. Um, so I would go carefully, gingerly. Well, I, one other thing I'll, I'll mention, Lauren, just quickly on the equipment side, it's a really interesting dynamic because... You know, as you look at Micron's numbers from yesterday and they're cutting spending in the near term looks bad for the equipment companies if everybody's reducing capacity. But then if you look past this, you know, kind of downturn, um, you've got Intel and Micron and others planning very large new uh, factories. Uh, Micron's going to build the largest factory, the chip making factory in the world in uh, upstate New York. Um, but it but. And, and we'll, which will add capacity like in the you know second half of the decade. So like if you have a long-term time horizon, um, I think that's an interesting play, but- There's a lot of growth there. Orders. But that's interesting about the short term. We're talking about on semiconductor and NVIDIA. So Lee has a question. <coughs> he points out that he knows you don't cover Tesla on a daily basis the way say our own Al Root does. Yes, he But does. we've talked a lot about EVs today. 
Tesla's down from 400 to 136. The PE is still in the 50 range, so it's not cheap, but it's the largest EV maker by far. He wants to know whether you have any opinion on buying the stock at 136. So I, I have um, I have mixed feelings here. I mean, the stock is certainly a lot cheaper than it was. And, you know, and, and I, I do I am bullish on EVs. I drive a Chevy Bolt, by the way. Um, oh, and, I, and so I'm, I, I have, you know, I have a charge in my garage. So I'm like bullish on EVs. But but um, I think the wild card here is uh, is Elon, because I think I think there is a I think he is squandering some goodwill here. Um, his uh, adventures at Twitter are uh, souring some buyers and owners um, on wanting to be associated with him. And, you know, if you think about the early buyers of Tesla's, right, it was really all about green energy and, you know, the environment and all that stuff. Um, I think it's become a much more complex set of reasons. You might want to buy a Tesla now, but I still think that a lot of his core audience is put off by some of the things that have happened at Twitter and some of his political points of view that he's taken. I think um, there's some there's some brand equity risk that he's creating for Tesla. Even at current prices. Even at current prices. So I, 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 I'm not saying that's the only factor to consider, but it is a kind of new factor, which is what we're seeing. And then, of course, the other thing is he keeps selling stock um, to support his investment in Twitter. Um, you know, he owns it, but he also has a lot of debt to finance there. Um, so it's a little bit complicated. They are clearly the market leader and they make fantastic cars and they have totally nailed the charger network thing, which none of the other players have done. Their superchargers make, make it much more secure for Tesla drivers to drive long distances. So they've gotten a lot of this right. But, um, but I just worry a little bit that he is, um, he is hurting his, uh, his brand by his own behavior. Well, you're not the only one worried about that. So last question comes from Hal, and he wants to know, is the metaverse about to take off? He notes that he saw on LinkedIn today, people who posted about their virtual holiday parties through their avatars. I know. I know okay. you're not too. Not, I'm. Not I'm. I'm a skeptic um, about the metaverse. Um, I, I think there are um, there are certainly applications that make sense, uh, particularly around gaming, um, which we've all known about. Um, and you know, they're they're uh, you, you know you playing games with a a, a quest headset. Um, you can be have a really good experience. But I think what uh, what Meta in particular is trying to accomplish is. Uh, uh, you know, is this this vision of people doing all kinds of other things, including business meetings um, in in the metaverse. And I just don't buy it. I, I'm just not convinced that people want to operate that way. I'll tell you what it reminds me of. Um, and this comes back to CES. A few years ago at CES, the red hot topic was 3D televisions, right? Everyone was going to buy 3D televisions and we were all going to put on glasses and watch 3D TV. And of course, no one does that. So no. <laughs> uh, those those TVs, I have one, by the way, that came with 3D glasses. I, I think I threw the 3D glasses away at this point because there's nothing to watch. But so so it, but but it was it was going to be ubiquitous and it didn't happen. And I think uh, or if you think about uh, go back to the Google Glass uh, debacle, 
uh, you know, Google Glass was like the early attempt by Google to do augmented reality glasses and, um, and, and, and no one bought those either. And so I, I think this need to wear uh, like a, a bulky device on your head to have a meeting when, frankly, you could do a Zoom call and you don't need bulky glasses to do that. Like there's other solutions for some of these things. So maybe some niche applications will emerge, but I'm I'm just not. You're still there. I don't think even if it does happen, we're still like a long ways away. All right, Hal, no avatars in the same holidays. So Eric, I promised you a pop quiz. I am okay. giving you 30 seconds maximum to answer these questions. I just, just okay. answer them, no commentary. Okay. So what's your favorite tech stock for 2023? Um, boy, I to pick one favorite tech stock. Um, I'll pick um, Amazon, uh, which I think is way too cheap and which I think um, is suffering from some serious cyclical problems. But from a secular point of view, they have huge growth opportunity in advertising on their e-commerce business and certainly in the cloud. I think Amazon looks cheap here. Do you have a least favorite name or a least favorite sector? Um, well, certainly among the large cap names, I remain a skeptic about Meta for reasons we. I mean, and it's not just the metaverse issue. Um, you know, they face new competition um, for advertising dollars. Apple's really hurt them with their privacy changes on being able to target advertising. I just think they have a lot of problems here. Um, there is a wild card, which if, if Congress bans TikTok, uh, which I still think is a little bit of a long shot, but if they do, Meta will perform better. But I'm, I'm, I remain skeptical about Meta. Okay. Next question, 30 seconds. What's the biggest tech surprise, do you think, for 2023? What could be the biggest tech surprise? Um, boy, the biggest tech surprise... Um, it may be something in the M and A uh, market. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see, like for example, I think we're we're almost certainly need to have consolidation in the streaming video space where there's too many players. You know, I counted once and I had realized I had like ten subscriptions. That's crazy down. Wow, um, uh, that's too many, right? Like, so I think that's an area where we're going to see some consolidation. Um, and then I think I think it's possible that we'll see that you know there's pressure on some of the most prominent CEOs in tech right now, whether it's um, uh, Meta or Amazon, there's a few places where you have CEOs under pressure and I wouldn't be surprised to see one or two shockers at, in the, in the uh, executive suite among the, the giant uh, tech companies. Probably not Meta given how much Mark Zuckerberg controls. You never know if Mark <laughs> comes up, uh, you know, that's all on Mark, right? That's, a, that's like, that's like, Elon deciding to change CEOs of Twitter. This is all okay. on market. Nobody can force him to do it, but there That's is an true. argument that you bring in someone who's a little, uh, who's seasoned and, uh, uh, and, and Mark becomes That's a wild card. We'll so speaking of well. Elon, question number four, will he succeed at Twitter? Well, I think, I think, um, you know, I don't know. We'll know a final answer, right? Like in 2023, this is a I long problem. Okay. I, I think, I do think he will be succeeded as the CEO. I can't imagine that he will finish 2023 with Elon as the CEO of Twitter. And if he chooses wisely, I mean, my prescription for him would be pick a, 
you know, sober headed, but experienced person in social media to run the company and then shut up. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. We'll see. I, I think I think he still has a chance uh, to fix it and in in a, at least to get to a point where um, all sides can live with the rules that exist on Twitter. Um, you know, he's feeling his way forward and he's stubbing his toe over and over again here. But um, I think it's still a valuable property. And I don't you know, I don't think Twitter's going to die, really. No, I'm with you there. I agree. All right. Last question. Where will the NASDAQ end 2023? I think we're probably a little lower. Uh, I think we, um, I don't think it's quite as ugly as this year. And I think that the first half will be worse and we'll get some uh, probably, you know, as we begin to get line of sight on the Fed being done. um, And, you know, as we get through I don't really know exactly what's going to happen in terms of the recession, but as you begin to see, even if we go into recession, as you begin to see light at the end of the tunnel, I think there's a chance we'll have a better second half. But I still think we end, you know, five or 10 percent lower on the Nasdaq for the year. All right, Eric, the good news is you're not going to get a grade for another year. <laughs> yes, I know when we're about. Go uh, out we'll do this again in, in, uh, in, in 12 months and we'll, you know, you can. Uh, okay, that. we'll reconvene. Thank you so much for joining me on Barron's Live today. Thanks, everybody. Happy New Year. I want to tell listeners once again, today is our last Barron's Live program of the year. We want to thank you for making our daily call possible. We appreciate your interest and your engagement, and we have learned so much from you. Barron's Life will be back on Tuesday, January 3rd. Until then, happy holidays to all. And on behalf of Barron's, I wish you a wonderful new year. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.